All right. So when we left off last week, so we had begun this uh, piece from the Slonimer about uh, Emun and Bitachon. And uh, to summarize, that was uh, 45 minutes in, uh, in a sentence or two. So the Slonimer has established the principle for us, which lets us know that um, Emuna is belief in Hashem. And then the Bitachon this is the part where there's different opinions amongst the uh, um, commentators and whatnot, philosophers. But according to the Slonim, Rabbi Tachon is the belief that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is always going to act as our parent. And as our parent, so he's going to love us under all circumstances. And then that becomes something which allows us to be able to approach him, even in times when we are feeling less proud of our behavior or whatnot, is the recognition that this is, uh, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is this loving, compassionate father who only wants our best interest, we never want anything which is going to be uh, bad for us, and that the relationship will always be a, a, a loving parent-child relationship. He may not be happy with some of our behaviors, but that doesn't mean that he's cutting us off from, uh, you know, from, uh, from, uh, from him. That was really the message, believe it or not, the whole weekend was a message of, you got to keep your kids close, regardless of what they do, um, you got to keep them close, and I know for <laughs> what a lot of these parents do, I don't think I'd be able to do what uh, what the, what they are managing in their in their lives and whatnot. But it's uh, okay. So, anyways, so so we now let me pull up the uh, where we're going to pick it up from. Um, so here, uh, so he he says we're going to pick it up from the second paragraph here. So Sonmer says. Uh, that he named So he writes that it would seem from the various psukim and the language, the way that Chazal speak, So a major part of Bitachon conveys this idea, this notion, this belief that even though uh, as far as my behavior is concerned, I may not be worthy. I may not be, I, I may not perceive myself as worthy of receiving this attention from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to assist me, that he's going to provide azar, he's going to provide help. Ella, however, al So here's a fascinating idea that by tapping in by reminding myself by by being mindful perhaps or bringing to uh, to the present the awareness that HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves me as a parent would love a child and that love is unconditional and that love can never be uh, can never be severed that itself uh sets me up to become worthy uh and uh, to become a recipient of that salvation so that reminder that awareness of how much Hashem loves me, that itself uh, reminds me of, uh, makes me worthy. You know, sometimes you have a, a child who misbehaves, and the way, sometimes you have a child <laughs> that misbehaves. Children who, mis, who misbehave. So some of them have the ability to show you sort of those puppy eyes, right when you're ready to like really yell at them and really punish them and really, you know, go all out because you're so frustrated with them. And then they can like flash you that smile or do something with their eyes and you just melt. So Baruch Hu is the same way. So by going ahead and we could turn to Baruch Hu and by 
showing HaKadosh Baruch Hu when he should be angriest with us, when we think that it's when he should be angry with us, we go ahead and we tap into that bitachon and we say, mommy dearest, tati dearest, my dear beloved uh, you know, uh, parent. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu's heart melts. And then he goes out and he provides us with, uh, with what he wants because he just can't resist. We're so delicious to him that he just can't, uh, he can't resist. And even though it happens to be that the person is not worthy and the person is not deserving of that, the very fact that you tap in, that one can tap in to this notion of bitachon, of the fact that we are Hashem's beloved children, that itself is going to change around the circumstance and that can make us worthy. And he says that this is and this is like the implication of the Pasuk, which says that our ancestors trusted in you, our ancestors had bitachon in you Hashem, they went ahead and they trusted in you and you saved them, you provided them with, uh, with relief. And they trusted in you. And this is going to be the key phrase that he wants to, uh, to highlight over here. I highlighted the whole pasuk over here. But the key phrase which he wants to highlight is that last two, uh, the last phrase, last four words, that they trusted in you and were not humiliated. Now, why would it be humiliating to trust in God? Why would you, why would you have to sort of address that point and say they trusted in you and weren't humiliated or embarrassed by that? Why should they be embarrassed or humiliated? So he says, so he says, he says that in the Medrash, so it darshans the Pasuk, Elokai, my God, alevosha. So I, I trusted in you, my God, and I was not embarrassed. So once again, why do we have to emphasize the fact that we're not embarrassed to trust in God? So so the story is that some visitor came to town, uh, the, the king city, and he was um, sleeping, let's say, outside the palace. He just, you know, set up his cardboard box as a homeless guy. So he set up his cardboard box and he was sleeping right uh, right outside the palace gates. Matsu Shomer Melech, and the king's guards see this stranger uh, there. And they began to strike him. Because you're not allowed to set up a cardboard box and sleep under, uh, you know, by the king's palace. How dare you? Amalahem, and he said to them, Al tichuni ani. And the fellow says, hey, you're not allowed to hit me. I'm from the king's household. Now, if you're a guard, so you certainly don't want to be caught beating up somebody who's a member of the, uh, the, the, the royal household. So, himtinu adaboker. So they said, okay, we'll stop beating you now. We're just going to hold on to you. We'll wait until morning. And then when the king wakes up, we're going to bring you to the king. And then he'll let us know whether you're actually a member of his household or not. We certainly don't recognize you. So we'll, uh, we'll check it out in the morning. So then when they bring the fellow there, he says, he says, uh, Oh, sorry, the other way. The king says to the fella, he says, do you recognize me? Amr Leilaf. And the fella says, honestly, I don't know why I didn't lie, but he says, honestly, he says, no, actually, I don't recognize the king, don't know your name, don't know what you look like, don't know anything about you. So the king says, hey, Chata Ben Basi. So the king says, well, how could you be a member of my household if you don't even know who I am? I'm the king, of the, I'm the king here, and if you don't know who I am, so certainly you must not be part of this household. Amr Leilaf, so he says, you know what? 
He says, listen, the truth is, I'm not a member of your household. He says, I placed my trust in your great chesed. That you would be a kind person and that you'd be, take care of me. Now, on the one hand, the guy lied to his teeth. But on the other hand, he, he was buttering up the king by saying, I know that you're such a compassionate, uh, merciful king that there's no way that you would send me off to the dogs or something like that. So the king was impressed with the answer. He said, you know what? Being that he had such confidence in me that I'm such a good guy, that is reason alone to go ahead and release him and just let him be. So David says the same thing. He says, my God, that I have trusted in you, I placed my trust in you, and I was not embarrassed. And for that very reason, my enemies should not mock me. Because by my demonstrating this bitachon, by my demonstrating this great trust that I have in the relationship, in the fact that you are a loving, compassionate, merciful king, that alone positions me where I'm going to find myself under the protective care of that king. And regardless of whether I'm worthy or not, the fact that I acknowledge and I, uh, I respect his status as a loving, honorable, merciful, compassionate king, so that itself already puts me in a good place. So what do we see? Explains this slow number. Hooray! So we see over here that bitachon is not simply trusting in God, but it's the capacity to be able to uh, invoke that trust, specifically at a time when I recognize that I'm not worthy. In the salvation comes not because I earned it. And the salvation comes not because I deserve it, but the salvation comes because I believe. And that's why, we, we're skipping the part where he emphasizes this, he says that's why the Pesukim keep, keep uh, emphasizing the fact that I have no reason to be embarrassed. Because really I should be embarrassed. Because I'm sinning, I'm not doing what Hashem wants for me, I'm not doing what's expected of me, and therefore I should be humiliated, embarrassed to go ahead and try and invoke God at that moment when I'm sinning against Him. But nonetheless, I say the power of bitachon, which means tapping into God's uh, unconditional love for the Jewish people is so powerful that I don't even have to be embarrassed asking God for a favor, even though I'm completely undeserving and unworthy. And that's the power of bitachon. And it kicks in specifically at that moment when I am undeserving and unworthy of that salvation. At that moment is when it kicks in. And that's going to be the, uh, the bitachon that, we are, uh, that we're emphasizing over here. And then he says further, he says, jumping ahead a little bit more, the of Ramban, he says the Ramban writes in this work called the Munavitachon, where we have this Pasuk in Tehillim, which says, believe in Hashem, trust in Hashem, and do good. So here we have this idea explicit. So we say the uh, the Ramban Nachmanides points out that the sequence in the pasuk over here is first comes first is you have to go ahead and trust Hashem laasetov and then do good things. What significance about that sequence? Trust in Hashem and then do good things. Kolomar, in other words, even 
even though you don't have good deeds to speak of, because you haven't done those good things yet. Those good things are happening only after the bitachon. So even though you haven't done any good things to earn HaKadosh Baruch Hu's salvation, and you may very well think, listen, I see myself as somebody who's a Russia. I am aware of things which I've done wrong, and therefore I am certainly not deserving of any salvation, of any special attention from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Pasuk says, David Amalek says, you know what? You may be right. However, even though you feel that you don't have any good deeds to speak of, and you're not worthy of Hashem's compassion in mercy and unconditional love, you should nevertheless have that bitachon in Hashem. Why? Because he is full of compassion, full of mercy, and he will undoubtedly be merciful towards you. So as long as you flash him that puppy, that puppy eye smile, and uh, which will uh, remind him of how much he loves you and how irresistible you are to him, that itself is going to make you deserving and he just won't be able to resist. And you could use that when you need. And he says, Habir um, Bazeh. So what's, uh, what, what are the mechanics of this? How exactly does this work? So the Sloaner explains. Habir Bazeh, the explanation is, when a Jew is able to go ahead and uh, have trust in Hashem, that Hashem is going to assist him. Um, okay, we'll just read it. So the root and the source of that of that uh, that trust, is because not that you're doing something to make you worthy, but it's because you're fully conscious and you're fully aware of how much Hashem loves you. That's the most important part of this equation over here. Not your behavior in what you do and how you earn HaKadosh Baruch Hu's love and affection and compassion and all of that. The mechanics over here, which we're tapping into, is just to develop the awareness and to be able to bring to the front, to the to the forefront of your mind the awareness of how much Hashem loves you. That's the only way that, the, that that's the way that you're going to tap into this. Shahu keben laav, because he is like a a son to a child, a, 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 a child to a parent. Rachman, who's merciful, harotza rak tovaso who wants nothing more than the good of the child in all circumstances. We had one of those, I don't know if they, they refer to it as a um, Kesher Nafshi miracle. I don't know if you would call it a miracle or whatnot. But a Motsai Shabbos, so there was a lot going on. There was there was a concert and there was a Malava Malka. There's just people like all over the place. Uh, and one person got a call from his kip. That's the term, the term that they use, kid in pain. So he got a call from his kip to say that um, he crashed the car. He just uh, totaled the car. So now, how do most parents respond when their teenager goes out and totals the car? I told you, I told you, whatever, you know, yelling at them, you know, whatever it's going to be. And the parent just said, are you okay? Kid said, yeah. He says, you're sure you're okay? No injuries, no anything? He says, yeah. He says, okay, Baruch Hashem, we'll deal with it when I come back on Monday. And the kid was like floored. He says, what do you mean? That's it? <laughs> he says, yeah, as long as you're okay. So then I'm, I'm fine. I'm just happy that you're okay. The car will figure it out. It's just a thing. It's just money. We don't have to worry about things and money as long as you're okay. 
And the kid was floored by that because that was absolutely not what he expected out of uh, uh, you know the response from his parent. But that's what the parent went ahead and you know in a sense learned how to do um, you know over the weekend to respond to the child and not to the things which are going on. So that is, so that's what we have to be conscious of. We have to be mindful that this is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants nothing more than we should be aware of how much he loves us. And what we need to go ahead and deepen in our hearts, what we need to uh, uh, create very deep roots in our mind, in our soul, and in our hearts, that we are Hashem's children, we are the children that Gosh Baruch Hu is going to love unconditionally. And he's going to love us unconditionally, not only before we sin, when we have that pure uh, soul, which hasn't yet, as Chazal say, had the taste of sin as of yet. But even after we sin, after we do something wrong, Gosh Baruch Hu loves us just as much. It's not our behavior. This is one of the, the messages which I kept repeating to parents, you know, throughout the weekend that I was uh, that I was consulting with is that what the message you need to convey to your child is, I love you, and it has nothing to do with your behavior. Not behavior good, not behavior bad. I love you just because I love you. And you can't do anything which is going to communicate to them that they're that they're um, that the love is dependent upon something having to be done or something not to be done. It just is. The love just has to be something which is just as there is a constant in their uh, in their life. And then once we recognize that, once we appreciate that, so Akash Baruch Hu then reciprocates and he says, and then Akash Baruch Hu, as you said, once you flash in those puppy eyes, so then what is he going to do other than be compassionate? Even though you're not deserving, you're not worthy of it, it's irrelevant because what Akash Baruch Hu is then tapping into is his unconditional love uh, to uh, towards us, which is always going to be, I need to do what's in their best interest. And if they need Yeshua, they need salvation now, they need help, they need assistance. So I have to provide that for them because clearly if they're turning to me, they can't take care of it themselves. So Akash Baruch Hu is only more than willing at that point to step in and provide his merciful assistance. And he says, and here's also, it's incredibly powerful. He quotes from, um, uh, you see, he quotes over here, Tehillim Chav Beis. Tehillim Chav Beis is a very important uh, chapter in Tehillim. It's a very important parak in Tehillim. This is the one which is associated with Esther Malka. That this is the one which uh, Chazal say she said as she was about to enter Achashverosh's um, chamber without being summoned. So when she was putting her life on the line for Klai Yisrael, so Tehillim Chav Beis is the parak of Tehillim which she said in order to be able to uh, uh, invoke Hashem's mercy. And it begins, like these words say, Keli Kemi, Keli Keli, Lama Zavtani. It's a call out to God. God, why have you abandoned me? Because at that moment is when she lost her Nevuah. She was able to use Nevuah through the beginning part of the, the 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 Purim story, but then at a certain point, as she's about to go into when she needed God the most, and she thought that uh, that uh, that's when Nevua left her, and she was able to say, "Why are you abandoning me in my most vulnerable time? How could that possibly be?" So Tehillim Chav Beis is an incredibly powerful parak of Tehillim, but we say over there that one of the lessons is Gam Shashari Tfila Neulim, the Hester Gadol, and this is something which is amazing. The Slonimer says that even when you find yourself in a circumstance where the gates of tefillah are locked, 
You come to the door, the key isn't working anymore. It's padlocked. It looks like Fort Knox. Nobody's getting in. Nobody's getting out. No way, no how. These tefillahs are not going to be able to penetrate. The Hester Gadol. And Akash Baruch has concealed himself. He has, um, you know, as some of us know, you've been blocked. They're not taking your calls anymore. They're not answering your WhatsApp. They are not responding to anything that they do. You're, you're completely blocked. So how are you going to communicate if the other person has blocked you and they don't allow, they've turned off their, uh, their router. So they're not getting a signal anymore. How are you going to possibly reach a person at that time? So Esther Malka says, this is the Pasuk, I'm calling out to you by day and I'm getting no response. Goes right to voice message. Nothing, nothing, nothing. So, you know what? When you find yourself in that circumstance, there's an amazing way to handle that situation. And that is, so even in the moment when it seems that tefillah would prove ineffective, nonetheless, there's still a superpower which we have, which we retain, and the superpower which we retain at that time is, is to flash that puppy eye smile, where he's just not going to be able to resist. That when we go ahead and we can be mindful and conscious of a Baruch at that point, so there's nothing which is, there's nothing which is going to be concealed. And at that point, when a Baruch gets so overwhelmed by the love that he has for us at that moment, when we, we remind ourselves and bring to the forefront of our mind the awareness of how much HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves us unconditionally, all of the accusers and all of the prosecutors and all of the angels which are pointing fingers and saying, you're going to help this person? This one who does this, this, and this, that's the one that you're going to go help at that time? HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to the Malach, he says, look at that smile. They love me. How can, how can I resist that smile? It's impossible. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to step up and he'll, he'll ignore all of those people whose job it is to accuse and prosecute and say that we're not deserving, HaKadosh Baruch Hu shouldn't give us special attention. HaKadosh Baruch Hu just says, just get out of my way. Just get out of my way. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. Look at that smile. I can't resist. And he says, this is, uh, he says, this is the explanation why, also an amazing thing, we all know that when it came time for Kriyas Yamsuf, when it came, the Jews had already left Mitzrayim, uh, so they initially thought that they, that they were in the clear. And then at that moment, so they're marching along, and then they see the Mitzrayim behind them, and the only thing in front of them is the sea. So they're trapped. They're stuck. There's no way out of this. They can't go through the water because they'll all drown. They can't turn around because they'll go right into the, uh, to the Egyptians. So what are they going to do at that point? So at that point, they say to themselves, as any good Jew would say to themselves, you know what? We got to turn to God in prayer. We got to daven. There's no other eight, so there's nothing else we can do. We have to turn to Hashem in prayer, and we have to daven that Kosh Baruch is going to, uh, to save us. And Moshe Rabbeinu, representing the Jewish people, goes ahead and turns to Kosh Baruch Hu, and Kosh Baruch Hu says the famous words, What are you calling out to me for? In other words, now is not a time for tefillah. So if it's not a time for tefillah, and I got a sea in front of me, and I got armed Egyptians behind me. What am I going to do? My only weapon left was tefillah. If you're telling me now I can't even, that tefillah won't even be effective, that the gates are locked, they're closed, you missed the, you know, the, 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 the store locks the doors at 5.01, and you got here at 5.02, so it's too late. So what are, what are we supposed to do? So he says, he says, indeed, you're right. 
being that the accusation against them had mounted, and the attribute of judgment said, the Jews did not deserve their tefillahs to be answered at this moment. Because remember, we've talked about this in Shul over the years a number of times, that at this moment, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu is preparing to split the sea to save the Jewish people, the prosecuting angels in heaven come to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's just pause over here and let's think for a minute. Halalu of halalu of The Egyptians are a bunch of idolaters, and that's why your inclination is to drown them in the sea. But the Jews have also been worshiping idolatry, idolatry for the past who knows how many decades, they're both collectively as a group, they're both idolaters. So if they're both idolaters, how could you save the Jews and how could you kill the Mitzvah? That doesn't make any sense. That's not fair. That's the ultimate zelo fair. They're both doing the exact same Avera and yet you're going to save the Jewish people, you're going to kill the Egyptians. How, how do you, God, rationalize that? In this, it was so clear to the angels that this was true. Remember, angels don't lie. So from their perspective, there was absolutely no difference between the Jews and the Egyptians. And therefore it was incomprehensible to them that God should choose to save the Jewish people and kill the Egyptians. Where's the justice in that? There's no justice in that whatsoever. And therefore the Jewish people's tefillahs weren't even going to work because how could they daven that they should be saved when they're not any more deserving than the Egyptians? But rakzos ha so at that moment, when even tefillah is not going to help, so what do we need to go ahead and draw on? This is where you pull out your trump card or your pull out of jail card or whatever game you want to go ahead and invoke. But you pull out your uh, your safety card. What we need to do is, we can't do this from a tefillah perspective. We need to go ahead and invoke God's kindness and his mercy. The only thing which is going to work at that, play, at that point is to draw from your reservoir of trust and faith in HaKadosh Baruch Hu and to have the Bitachon saying, I know that no matter how bad we're behaving, we've behaved, says Kla Yisrael, or this HaKadosh Baruch Hu is teaching them, but no matter how badly we behave, and even though our idolatry is on par with the Egyptians, and seemingly that makes us just as unworthy as they are, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu shouldn't extend himself at all to save the Jewish people, at that moment, what we need to do is we need to bring up this power, our superpower of Bitachon, our get-out-of-jail-free card, which is Bitachon, which says, I know that you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, love me unconditionally. That's flashing us in that puppy smile. And when he sees us, yes, it's true. We're idolaters, they're idolaters. In terms of our behavior, there's no difference between us, but you're my child and they're not. And therefore, just by virtue of the fact that we remind HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we are your children, that's what makes us worthy, not because of what we do. It's not something we earned through our behavior, through our choices. It's something which just is by virtue of the fact that we are his children. And that's something, part, you know, a DNA connection between a parent and a child, you can't deny that. That is what it is. You can never talk to each other for 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years. It doesn't make a difference what type of communication you have with one another, but the inherent relationship between parent and child, that's something which is an undeniable element of existence. And that's what Bitachon, that's how the slow number understands this concept of Bitachon, is when we can invoke HaKadosh Baruch Hu's memory 
of the fact that we are his children and that he's supposed to love us unconditionally. And then Kesh Baruch says, okay, all bets are off. Mitzrayim dead, the Jews saved, game over. <laughs> There's nothing else to talk about over there. I don't need your tefillahs for that. I just need that puppy smile. I just need to know that you are aware of that relationship that we have, that you, are, that you Jewish people, are aware of how much I love you. And when you show me that you're aware of how much I love you, then Kesh Baruch says, I'll turn over the world for it. I'll, I'll literally split the sea. The only person who could actually say that. But God says, I will literally split the sea for you in order to provide you with salvation because that's how dear you are to me. And if that's what needs to be done, that's what needs to be done. And therefore, and therefore the Jewish people, in order to demonstrate, we know, God, that you love us unconditionally, going to take care of us no matter what, because you're ch- you are, we are your children and you will not allow us to experience harm. We're going to walk straight into the sea, straight into danger. Before the sea ever splits, because I am a thousand percent certain that you're not going to let harm befall us. And that's the, the superpower of the Jewish people is to be able to draw out that, that bitachum. Um, okay, this next part is a little bit uh, challenging. Um, challenging in the sense that um okay we'll see <laughs> let's uh let's take on the challenge and let's go for it he says uh says in light of this this idea that um that all we need to do is flash our puppy smile and is going to respond positively because uh, once we recognize that we see that we are his children and that we are his beloved children, so that itself is going to uh, invoke all sorts of mercy in our direction. So he says, now we can understand the chakiros. The chakiros means the pursuit, the effort to understand as far as bitachon is concerned, is it necessary to put in effort or do you not have to put in effort? So if you remember, the show people, you remember back at the beginning of COVID, so we spent a lot of time talking about emun and bitachon and bitachon and ishtadlis. And much of what we end up doing over the course of our adult lives, in certainly when it comes to major decisions which we make during our lives. So when you distill it down to the essential question, forgetting about the specific details, when you want to, when you want to consider what is the essential question which needs to be considered, most times it's going to be a question of bitachon versus ishtablis. How much effort do I need to put in and how much could I rely that God is going to take care of things? And what's the balance between those two things? God is certainly capable of doing anything, but we know at the same time that HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't want us to just you know, sit on the couch and do nothing all day and just expect money and food and clothing just to sort of you know, fall, you know, Santa's going to come in and drop off, you know, years worth of food and clothing and, uh, and stuff like that. So we're always trying to develop this, uh, strike that balance between trust in God and what's considered to be reasonable in terms of effort. So he says, And the question always is, how much effort is necessary? How many degrees do I need? How many jobs do I need? How much you know, time do I need to spend at work in order to be able to, uh, to earn? So there's lots of questions which come up and that's always going to be the, the questions which, which pivot around that question. How much effort is necessary in order to be able to get what God wants to provide for me? 
So now says the Slanur, Ki haklal bazeh, shakolofi erech abihirus bamuna ubitachon. And this is the part which is it's 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 difficult for me to to verbalize and to explain, but he says that the rule of thumb is that it depends on how much emuna and bitachon you have. Meaning there is no correct answer as far as how much effort you have to put in and how much you're allowed to trust God. What's the, what? Let, let's just took it, put, put it in terms of percentages. Is it 50% effort in 50% trust? Is it 75% effort in 25% trust? Is it 25% effort and 75% trust? So everybody is going to find themselves somewhere along that scale where they have a strike, a, a balance between how much effort they're doing and then the rest of it is going to be supplemented with trust. So what is the answer to that question? Yes, Ellen. Thank you. So, so does that mean, does that mean that uh, it's more, if you have more bitachon in Hashem, then you need to put in less effort? Or is it, is there like a correlation of those things? Or um, is it, you know, the more, more bitachon, the more effort? No, the, the, the more bitachon, the less effort. So th- those two numbers, as, as one gets larger, the other one gets smaller. So the t- those two numbers, emuna plus bitachon equals 100%. So the higher your bitachon, the less emu- the less effort, less ishtavlis. The more ishtavlis, the less bitachon. But it's always going to equal 100%. I assume that you, 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 you saw that thing going on. It goes on every year, that everybody's the same age. You take the year that you were born plus your age, and it will equal 2023 or 2022. Right, which is simple math, just making things <laughs> unnecessarily complicated to go to go ahead and do so. So in the same way, emuna bitachon, uh, uh, sorry, bitachon and ishtavlis will always equal under percent. The question is, what's going to be how much? What 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 are the the shared percentages between the two? So he says, explains the uh, the slonomer, imargish belibo emuna bitachon gamer. If a person experiences complete Trust in Hashem, that Hakadosh Baruch Hu's love and Hakadosh Baruch Hu's closeness to you as an individual. To the point where you trust Hakadosh Baruch Hu is going to provide for you without any effort whatsoever. Now here we're talking about an incredibly high level of bitachon, but the Slonimer says that there exists such a thing where a person has absolute and complete trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And if HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants me, wants me to eat, he's going to provide me with food. I don't have to put in any effort. Now, obviously, this is something which is very rare. I'll show you something about this in a second. Um, such a person, and a person will be able to receive God's salvation with that level of bitachon without any effort whatsoever. So I'll give you two examples of this type of thing. Um, for the 40 years that the Jews traveled in the wilderness, how many doctors, accountants, and lawyers were there? There were none. How many uh, W-2s were sent out? None. 1099s? None. How much money was earned under the table and and unreported? None. So how did everybody eat? Akash Baruch gave man. What happened to their clothing? Why didn't they they need new clothing? 40 years of desert, your clothing should wear out. Because Akash Baruch created an environment where clothing didn't wear out. 
And what about shelter? How did they afford shelter? How did they afford a mortgage for 40 years? Without an income? So we have precedent that, in, why, would, why was that generation deserving of that? They literally, I can't say literally, but as literally as it could be for a human being, they saw God. They were there at Har Sinai. They experienced Matan Torah. That if there was anybody who's able to be fully aware and cognizant and conscious of Akash Baruch Hu's existence, it is the generation that traveled the 40 years in the wilderness. Put, putting aside the fact that they sinned by the Maragud, that was terrible, and that's why they had to be 40 years in the wilderness. But nonetheless, despite that sin, Akash Baruch Hu took care of all of their needs. No Ishtavus whatsoever. Nobody had to apply to a job. You didn't have to go to school to get a job. Nothing. Everything was provided for, for by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So we have precedent in the course of history that there could be such a thing where HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I'm just going to take care of everything for you. You won't need to put in any effort whatsoever because I got it all. Now, we'll go a little bit out of order. And he doesn't elaborate on the story fully, but it's a well-known story. He says, he says, Kemosha Masupar ala Alshech HaKadosh, says there's a famous story of the Alshech. The Alshech lived in Tzfas around the same time as Rav Yosef Karo. You know, those of you who are not from Shkoki who don't know, I imagine Tzfas in the time of Yosef Karo and the Alshech was probably smaller than Timberidge. I can't imagine it was like such a big place. So it was a small place, but you had like this small collection, like five or six of unbelievably world-class um, Go'onim. You know, Tamir Chachamim, Tzadikim, Mekubalim, you know, just top of the world were all Converged in this place called Tzfas in this uh, in the 16th century, I think it was. So the Al Sheikh once he got up, he gave a drush in the in shul, right? Because he was a rav, so rabbanim give drushes sometimes, and sometimes people actually listen to the rav and they actually try and uh, carry out what was done. And he said his drush was Shapotech b'Hashem lasos So he told them in shul, he said, if somebody has complete bitachon in Hashem, you don't have to go to work anymore. HaKadosh Baruch is just going to provide. All your needs will be taken care of. You don't have to go to work. This is what the al Sheikh said in Shul. And a person who has completely tachon Hashem will sit to the Beis Medish all day long. They'll study Torah. They'll daven. And will provide. Right? That's the kind of drasha we like. It was all of two sentences. <laughs> drasha is over. Now we can move on to, uh, you know, to Musaf, whatever, whatever it is. But that was his drasha. Somebody who has that level of bitachon, no effort is needed whatsoever. You could just sit and learn in Davin. Akash Baruch is going to take care of everything. What happened? Ubal agala echad nichnesu hadvarim lalibo. And there was a wagon driver, the equivalent nowadays of an Uber driver. So there's a guy who drove for a living. And the, the Rav's words, the Al-Sheikh words, penetrated his heart. And he said, really? It's true? If I just have bitachon in Hashem, then I can rely that Hashem's going to take care of all of my needs? And then he, he gave up his business. He sold the business, used up all of his money. He spent all day in the base medish learning and saying to him, he couldn't even learn that well. It was saying to him and it was, it was davening because he wasn't a sophisticated Tamil Chacham of any, of, any, uh, of any note whatsoever. But he spent all day in the base medish. And the way they tell over the story, his wife was panicking because she didn't his, have his level of bitachon. She's panicking, panicking, panicking. We've got nothing left in the, the cupboard is literally bare. And he kept saying, 
the Rav said that if I have bitachon, Hakadosh Baruch is going to uh, is going to provide, and he's going to provide. And this miraculous thing, this you know, uh, this the horse, the, the horse which he sold, his agala, his his horse and wagon which he had sold before he went to gave up work. So it came wandering back to town with this chest filled with money and riches and gold and uh, you know uh, precious gems or whatever. And he was able to provide for himself for the remainder of his life doing absolutely nothing. So the Talmidim, Vishalu Osa Talmidov, Lama Rakuzachalazah. So the Alshech's Talmidim. Remember, to be a Talmud of the Alshech, you have to know Shas by heart, you have to know the Rambam by heart, you have to know the Zohar by heart, you have to be this huge Talmud Chacham who's established and knows everything about everything. That's what you need to do in order to be a Talmud of the Alshech. And they said, we don't understand. We work day in and day out learning and studying and uh, connecting to a uh, to Torah and all of that. And none of us had this random wagon show up in our in, in our laps, which made us fabulously wealthy so that we could serve Hashem for the rest of our lives. Why does this this uh, this ignorant balagala, this ignorant uh, wagon driver, how did he become deserving of this great privilege of being able to do nothing except for say Tel Ben Davin all day long provide him with all his needs? Valid question. Why did he get it and not us? So what does Al Sheikh answer them? He says, He says the only people who are actually going to be able to tap into this to such a degree where they don't have to work at all, no effort required whatsoever, and Akash Baruch Hu is going to provide all of their needs is somebody who has a very simple, almost immature, childlike belief in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Nothing sophisticated about whatsoever. If you start getting sophisticated, it becomes too much intellectual, and it's not something which is living in your heart. The only way that you're going to be able to tap into this, where your bitachon, your trust in Hashem, your trust that you are Hashem's loving, beloved child, and He's going to do whatever He possibly can to take care of you, that only happens when you have that childlike relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that young age, where a child still thinks that my parent is Superman or Wonder Woman. And they are essentially God and they could do everything and they could provide everything and they've never seen their parent fail as of yet. It's that type of trust in Hashem that will allow you to be able to give up your profession and just sit in the base marriage the rest of your life, davening, learning, and saying to Hillam. So Alshu said, you tell me, you guys are too intellectual. You're cheshbening this Rambam versus the, the Ramban over here. And what about this Gemara? And what about that matters? And you guys are handling and trying to argue it about intellectually. That means that you're not living it with the simplicity of, I just trust Hashem because I don't know any better. And I'm just going to trust Hashem. So the Balagala had the simplicity which made him worthy of this. And the great students of the Alshech who were outstanding Tamid Chachamim and outstanding Sadiqim, but there was too much in the brain and not enough in the heart. And therefore, they couldn't access this. And if they were to try, they would fail. And it's for that reason that it was only this Balagala, only this wagon driver, who was able to tap into this. But the rest of them were not able to go ahead and, and, and do so. So this is going back to where we left off on the previous page. So this is what the, uh, the, the slow number is telling us is in terms of this balance between Bitachon uh, and Ishtabas. That that sliding scale, that how much effort you're going to put in and how much you're going to trust the Kaddish Baruch Hu, and the balance between those two. So it's a very personalized thing. There is no one correct answer for that. It's very personalized. 
And, but we do know that the way it works is the more bitachon that you have, the less hishtalus, which is necessary. The more trust in HaKadosh Baruch you have, the less effort is going, to be, uh, is going to be necessary. But each person has to figure out for themselves on a personal level where their comfort level is and whether or not they've done enough effort that they could confidently say, I've done enough, Hashem's going to take care of the rest. And that becomes a very difficult thing to say because our tendency is, well, maybe if I do just a little bit more, maybe I could make be absolutely certain that of the outcome, which I uh, of the desired outcome. And at a certain point, you have to say to yourself, enough, I, I've tried enough, I've done enough, I don't need to do any more. There's uh, uh, enough effort has been put in that Fakash Baruch who wants to provide, he will, and that's it. Sort of like, I'll give one simple example and then we'll call it for a night. And that is, uh, I don't know what the Mega Millions is up to. Did somebody win the last one? I don't know, up to 400 million, 500 million, whatever it is. So uh, at the end of the day, right, as a maimin, a maimin amongst us, so all you need to do is buy one ticket. Because if you have, if you buy one ticket, you've made effort to win. If Akash Baruch Hu wants you to win the $500 million, so he'll go ahead and he'll provide you with the $500 million because he'll make your ticket be the winning ticket. Is there, is, do you get any closer to winning because you buy five tickets as opposed to one? or 10 as opposed to one. Kakash Baruch doesn't need you to have 10 tickets to give you one winning ticket. He only needs to give you one. So Hishtablis would say to you, when you're trying you know, to figure this out in your head, you say to yourself, listen, if I need to make effort to make myself worthy. One ticket is enough. Beyond that, that's too much Hishtablis. It's too much effort. Now, there are some Sadiqim who say, I don't even need to buy a ticket. Kakash Baruch wants me to have $500 million. There's plenty of ways he'll be able to figure out how I'm going to get $500 million. And I'm not even going to spend the $1 on the Mega Millions ticket. Even that would be a waste of money. That's probably above most of us, at least above where I am. But certainly you don't need to buy more than one ticket. Because once you bought one ticket, if Kakash Baruch wants you to win, you'll win. That's, uh, you know, he doesn't need any, any more than that. So this is this, uh, this, uh, this uh, pivot or this balance or this dance which you're trying to do between filling the tank to 100% and how much of that is going to be effort, our own effort, the hishtalus, how much of that is going to be bitachon. But at the end of the day, the bitachon which we invoke is that puppy smile to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I know HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that you love me as a parent loves a child. It's unconditional and you would never do something which is not going to be in my best interest. And I'm going to trust that you're going to take care of things. Okay, so we'll hold it over here for, uh, oh yeah, Chai, you had a question? No? Yeah, sorry. No, no, you're, you're good, yeah. Um, you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Okay. In the Shema yeah. and in the Torah, we have the Parshish in the summer where we talk about all the Kalais. If you yes. don't follow in my ways and if you don't do X, Y, and Z, and Z, all these terrible things are going to happen to you. Right. How does that line up with the unconditional love? Right. So uh, there is, it, 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 that's a, um, a very long uh, answer. Short question, long, long answer. Um, uh, the simple thing, and if, if it's not satisfying to you, so contact me later, Chai, we can talk about it more. Just I'm going to be running to uh, tomorrow. But the okay. simple answer is, is that what's described in Shema are consequences. And consequences are something which is, it's sort of like a natural law. You put your hand in fire, you're going to get burnt. You don't need to be aware of any of the properties of fire. That's just what happens when skin goes into fire is that the skin is going to get burnt. So Shema is saying that there are spiritual laws of nature which exist. And if you you know, behave in certain ways, there's going to be certain consequences which are going to be the result of that. 
Now, you may be able to work around that by invoking this bitachon. But you, but what the Kriya Shema is coming to emphasize is that there, there is no actual reward and punishment in this world for our behaviors. That's really reserved for the next world. And whatever we, we read about in Kriya Shema and whatnot is by and large just a description of the consequences. You do good things, so you send out a positive energy which is going to reflect back to you, and then that will be manifest in good things rain and crops and all of that stuff. If you do bad things, that sends out a negative energy, which will also be reflected back towards you. And then that will bring about what seems to be bad things, no rain and you know bad growth of crops and whatnot. But that doesn't mean that bitachon can't overwhelm that and supersede that. So that doesn't mean that God is punishing us. It's not a punishment, right? Kriyashma is not a punishment. Saying all the curses... That we read yes. about and it, it's just consequence. If you don't follow in my ways, it's not like a punishing God. Nope. Not punishing. And it it doesn't compromise the love. That's a consequence. This is you know, you can you can you can you, you you know if you have a child, you know, who's a, who's in high school uh, and he's uh, you know uh, you know the school says if you get caught going to a movie theater, so you know you're suspended for a week. And your child goes to a movie theater. So it's okay, listen, the consequence is no school for a week. Woohoo! You know, for, as far as they're concerned, they may be thrilled, but that's just a consequence. It's, uh, there's nothing we can do one way or the other. This is the rule. I, I can't, I, as your parent, I can't stop it because that's the con- the, you, the, it, the school set up this consequence and you violated it. What are you going to do? So there's consequences, which, you know, that's just the. the so it's the, not like dictator like? The school or God? God, no. Coming from God, no. It's, it, it's not dictator. It's not punishment. It's not punitive. Uh, it's going to be just, um, that's the consequence. You'll think about it and you're going to, uh, you'll, you'll reach out to me or you'll, you'll let me know your thoughts or uh, well, we can continue later. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All the best. Thank you, Rabbi. Take care. Thank Thursday, you. Thursday, Thursday, 8.30, right? Yes. Okay, great. All right. All the best. Yeah.